You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Thank you, my friend. Excellent. Good job, guys. Thanks. Why don't we give the uh, musicians a big hand as they take their seat? Good job, gentlemen. Very good indeed. We uh, started a series this morning entitled Lost, as you can see the big word behind me. And it's predicated on the concept of the idea that 50% of the Australian population is uh, lost financially. And I did give a list of, uh, of signposts that you're able to um, determine whether or not you are lost. We're going to do something I believe very interesting tonight. We're going to follow the teachings of Jesus in a moment uh, up the flagpole. We're going to get a bird's eye view. We're going to uh, have a God perspective on your Stuff. Now, why this is so important is because when you see as God sees, you're more likely to do as God does. Um, too often we look at things from our point of view. God wants us to do this. We're seeing this angle and we go, no, we don't want to do what God's, God, God's asking us to do. The problem is we don't see as God sees. The minute you see as God sees, obedience to God is second nature. Uh, the, the issue with obedience is never co- trying to, you know, um, overcome your, your re- resistance to wanting to, to do the stuff that God's asking you to do. The issue with obedience is always getting God's point of view or God's perspective on the matter. Once you do, once you see it from God's point of view, naturally the thing you want to do is obey because you'll see that where God is going is exactly where you want to go. Uh, what, do you want in, what do you want in your life? I, I tell you, you want, you want love. Everybody wants love. You want joy. Everybody wants to be happy. You want peace. Nobody wants to live in conflict. And those things are where God is taking us. The fruit of the Spirit simply means the result of following God. The fruit of the Spirit means the result of following God is love, joy, peace, and so forth. These are the things that you want and so when you see where God is going when you get a bird's eye view you go wow that's where I want to be and so you get on board God's vision you get on board God's direction we tend to pray don't we when we hit a crisis Um, like when there's no rain we get together and pray for rain you know God send rain to the drought to the the dry land and there's nothing wrong with it that's good as a matter of fact a lot of people come to faith through crisis because it causes them to turn to God and to ask God to help them in their circumstance and maybe there's people here tonight and we've already done it haven't we we've prayed to people who need God's intervention in their circumstance and there's, there's nothing wrong with that in fact it's a very important and it's a very good thing to do uh, but we are a little more reticent, aren't we, to give God the things that are good. Once something's broken, it's like, God, fix this, will you? Fix these relationships or fix this body or fix this circumstance. But when it's going well, it's kind of like, well, you know, I think I'd like to do things my own way. And tonight, we're going to climb up the flag- flagpole and take a very powerful lens to how God views your stuff. Um, before you sort of put too much reverse into your heart and go, oh, really? Gosh, you know, I'm happy to ask God to bless me, but God, keep your hands off my stuff, all right? Uh, my stuff is my stuff, God, and, and, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but, but not too much of that stuff. 
Um, money is a spiritual thing. You may or may not have realized it. Uh, decisions that you make with your finances are spiritual. Purchases are spiritual. Do I need to say that again? Purchases, what you buy is a spiritual thing. And the reason I say that is because that determines the direction of your heart. If you buy a car, your heart is in that car. Because uh, you're interested in it, right? You're cleaning it, you're washing it, you're, your heart is there. And as Celine Dion said, your heart will go on and on and on, right? Your heart is eternal. And so wherever you put your finance, you are directing your heart. And the problem is your heart doesn't stop or die when you die. Seeing things as God sees them is the most liberating, uh, releasing uh, thing that you can do. When you see yourself as God sees you, when you get your identity from God, you are free, you are liberated. When you see your stuff as God sees them, you are free, you are liberated. This series is not about getting anything from you. God wants nothing from you. God wants everything for you. Do I need to say that again? God wants nothing from you. God wants everything for you. And when you see your stuff from the lens that God looks, it does nothing but go further. It does nothing but increase in your life. Jesus gives, gives us the heads up on how God sees our stuff. And it's story tells. I'm going to drop into the story in just a moment, but just I'll warn you first. We're going to come across something in this story that's absolutely shocking. Um, it might even leave you feeling a little bit angry. I get a bit angry when I read this story because it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, it seems so out of alignment with everything else that Jesus said. He would have so shocked his audience, they would have never forgotten this ridiculous Story. It's a story about a really rich dude. And this rich guy had so much money that he employed someone to look after it. Well, you went off and played golf or went fishing or did whatever. And this guy who was looking after his affairs was doing a really, really bad job. So we'll drop in on the story, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich guy who had a manager who was accused of wasting his possessions. He's doing a bad job. So we called him and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management. So he's being uh, held accountable for his misdeeds and his inaction. Because you cannot be my manager any longer. So he's just been sacked. That's what a poor job he was doing. The boss has called him in and said, you're finished. Now, in the story, in all of these stories that Jesus tells, someone always represents God and someone always represents you know, me, you, us. In this story, the master obviously represents God and this, um, this other guy, he represents someone in the crowd maybe who's just been sacked by God for not doing a good job of managing his, his resources. The manager says to himself, okay, the guy, not God, but the person, says to themselves, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I've just been sacked. I'm not strong enough to dig. I can't get involved in manual labor. I'm a bit old for that now. Um, I'm too ashamed to beg. So the creative juices start to flow. This guy recognizes that he only has a short space of time. He's been given notice. and He's got a short space of time before he's got to clear his office and he's out. He only has 
now. And it's really important to note this because you only have now. Did you know that? We only have now. So what's he going to do in the now? And he comes up, he concocts this scheme where he goes to the credit, goes to the people who owe his boss money. His boss has been dealing you know, with, um, with his resources and, and, and he goes to a creditor and he says, how much do you owe the master? And the creditor says, a thousand talents, let's just say. And he says, I'll tell you what, give me your, um, give me your bill. And he crosses it off and he initials it. He says, you only owe him 500 now. And how much do you owe? Or we owe, you know, it's 400 barrels of oil, let's say. He says, okay, why don't we take that and we're going to cross it and say 200. And how much do you owe? I owe your boss $10,000. Give me your bill, $10,000. Put a line through the tent. How about you say we pay you $5,000? What do you think of that? Oh, and, and of course, the guy who's getting the discounts, right, the half price, someone's just come in and cut his bill in half. He, he says to this steward, this bad manager, well, listen, very kind of you to do that for me. If I can ever do anything for you, come and ask and I'll be able to look after you. So put yourself in the, in, in the, in the shoes of the moment of the unjust steward. You've just been sacked for doing a bad job. You've then gone out and spoken to people who owe the company, owe the, the boss you just worked for money, and taken all of their bills and halved them. How would you feel if you worked for you, Peter? And uh, Peter does pest control and he's got all these, you know, these outstanding accounts. And the guy that you've been working for, your Peter, he's gone out to all the people who owe you money. He said, just pay him half. I'll just sign that. Just pay him half. I'll just sign him that. I reckon you'd be cranky. I reckon you'd be angry. So, so, so you'd be expecting, Peter, you'd be expecting that Jesus tells this story. And you'd think that when he gets to the consequences, that Jesus would say, and the man was caught and thrown in jail. Right? And that would be fair. That would make you feel just. Okay, he's met his just desserts. Fair enough. Listen to what Jesus says. And ask yourself the question, if this wouldn't have made his audience angry. Jesus says, when this all got found out, and eventually it all does, and everything came out into the open, it says this. In verse 8, the master condemns. I'm sorry. No. The master commends. He commends? Hang on a minute. He must have got that wrong. No, it's true. The master says, well done. Good job. Hey, hey, way to go. That's what you should do. Would you have said that? What is going on here? I mean, if you'd had this happen to you, if you had been the boss and you'd experienced this, wouldn't you be cranky? Wouldn't you be angry? Wouldn't you be thinking, what, what, what the? He says, he commends this honest manager because he acted shrewdly. Then he says, the people of this world are more shrewd in the dealings with their own kind than are the people of light. My goodness gracious me. He has everybody now off kilter. Right? Nobody's sort of thinking, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. They think this isn't making any sense. And then he hits them with these powerful, powerful,
powerful lenses. Right? He's just told that story to communicate something that they will never forget. Because whenever you are angered by a particular circumstance, you're more likely to remember it. Right? If you just go with the flow and it's just a you know, plain old Jane story, you probably, by the time you get home, you... But that, if someone did it to you, you'd want their bacon, right? You'd want to sue them. But God says, that's the way to go. Why is that the way to go? What is the message? What is he trying to say? He's taking you up the mountain and he's showing you God's perspective on stuff. And then he explains it, these next couple of verses, and we'll we'll drop in. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when you're gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Wow. I'll tell you how God sees your stuff. It's a tool. God sees your stuff as a tool. Now, if you go home and go into your um, toolbox or your shed or whatever, and you find a screwdriver and a hammer, God sees your stuff, your money, your things as a tool. Now, I've got to tell you something about a a tool, and you'll know this. Um, If you want to drive in a nail and you try to do it with a screwdriver, how does that leave you? (laughs) Frustrated and tired. Very difficult to drive in a nail with a screwdriver, right? By the same token, if you want to loosen a screw and you're trying to use a hammer, how many know you're going to get real frustrated, cranky, angry, it's not going to happen because you're not using the right tool for the right job. A tool is designed to achieve an outcome. It's the whole idea behind a tool. And what Jesus has just said to this frazzled audience, he's purposefully frazzled them So they never forget what he's teaching them. And he's just told them that if you want to get the most out of your stuff, if you want to get the most out of your money, use it to leverage the future. Use temporary wealth to move people into the kingdom. Use temporary stuff to make friends for yourself for eternity. That's why you have stuff. Now, this is mind-blowing, but let's, let's just think about it for a moment. Let's get real practical here, right? If you've got a car, hands up if you own a car. Hands up, hands up the people in the room own a car. Okay, hands down. Now listen to me. What you need to do, you need to ask yourself, how can I leverage this car to build eternity. When I was a kid, George Vet Vanetten was his name, was one of our youth leaders, and he had this E.H. Holden, which sounds really cool now, but back then wasn't so cool, it was just what you had. <laughs> and he used to pick me up at my house on a Friday night, drive me to youth, and we'd do the youth group thing, and at the end of the night, he'd drive me home. You know what he was doing? He was leveraging his stuff to build eternity, right? He had a car. And so he thought, how can I use this car to build eternity? I know what I can do. I can pick up kids and I can take them to youth group. And so he leveraged his stuff. It was a tool. Everything you have is a tool. Hands up if you have a house. Who has a house? 
Okay, how can you use your house to build eternity? Because that's why you have it. So you might think, I just have a house because I need a place to sleep and wash and eat and so forth. But, but Jesus has just given us an insight, a God perspective view on why you have things. And what you've got to do is you've got to go home and you've got to do an inventory of, uh, of stuff that you've got. Now, I did that. And um, what happened to my coat? Where is it? I put it there. Who moved it? Can you go and get it back for me, mate? <laughs> Boy, you just wrecked the detention of the moment. <laughs> he thought, what? He's tidying up. That was an illustration. <laughs> he moved my illustration. <laughs> yes, yes, here we go. Thank you, Johnny. Good man. Okay, all right. See, now, uh, the problem is, whenever you preach this stuff, right, it's one finger to you, and it's two fingers to me. So I thought, well, what have I got at home? I got this jacket. Now, my wife, I don't know if she loves this jacket. Oh, I love this jacket. I bought this jacket when I was 17. <laughs> I've had this jacket. This is true. I've had this jacket for, how many years is that? 40, 40 over 40 years. This jacket is over 40 years old. It's antique. It's classic. And, uh, you know, does it, does it still fit? <laughs> Is, are, they, are they back in yet? I don't know. Yeah, they, are. they are? You don't think they are? Anyway, so look, it doesn't quite fit me really, I suppose. I bought it when I was 16, I think. I've got to tell you, it's warm. Jesus, warm. And uh, did you have a jacket like this back in the 70s? You didn't. <laughs> no, you probably couldn't afford it. But... Uh, <laughs> Because they weren't cheap. How many know? They, you know that's proper wool. Anyway, I, 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 was, I got this jacket out of my... Because it's in my wardrobe. It's been in my wardrobe for 40 years. And, uh, and none of you have ever seen me wear that jacket. Because I don't wear it. And, and I was like, oh man. Am I using my stuff to leverage the kingdom? Or is that just a bit of sentimental nonsense from my teenage years? And so God said... You've got to give it away. You've got to give it to some bloke in the park who at least won't be cold tonight because you've got a jacket that would keep anybody warm, I've got to tell you. You know, that's a, that's a very, very warm jacket. And so I've, I've made a little note about the warmth of the love of God. I'm going to put it in the pocket. I'm going to drop it in the park on the way home <laughs> so that some poor bloke who's cold doesn't need to be cold again. And, and thank you. I appreciate that. And I know it's a magnanimous act on my part. You have no idea how, how magnanimous that is. Um, because, as I said, that's, that's, that's pure wool, that. And uh, it's been sitting in my, it's been part of my life for 40 something years. But, but my point is, it's not doing anybody any good. And, and, and so I gotta put it somewhere where it can do somebody good. Because that's what it's made for. It's not made to sit in my wardrobe and remind me of going to the football when I was 16 years of age. It's made to keep people warm. 
So God said, give it away. So okay, well, I'll give it away. <laughs> so on the way home, we're going by the park. I'm going to go to a place in the park and just hang it up with a little note saying, whoever finds this, it's a cold night. Enjoy the warmth. God loves you and so do I. And now this is what you have to do, right? You're not off the hook. <laughs> you have to go home. You have to look at what you own. You have to ask yourself the question, are you leveraging it for all it's worth? <laughs> are you using it for what it was given to you for, which is to benefit other people, is to bring other people into the kingdom? That's what he said. That's, that's, that's God's view on it. That's what stuff is for. Stuff is not to make you look cool. Stuff is not to, you know what I mean, just to get you from A to B. Stuff is not just a place where you can sleep and eat and shower and, 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 and hang out. Stuff is for you to bless other people so that they might get into the kingdom of God. He goes on and says this. This is powerful. So listen in. Lean in here. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. But whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. Now what I, what I find so remarkable about that is wasn't this bloke just dishonest? Didn't he just run around to all the blokes who owed you money, Pete, and, and, and cut it in half? And now he's being lauded as the example. Like, are you struggling with this? Are you finding this a little hard to deal with I hope so he says it's a test whether or not you do what I just said is a test God is testing you know we talk a lot about having faith in God and that and that's all good and I need to have faith in God and so on and so forth there's a bigger question here and it's this you ready for this how much does God trust you how much does God trust you I'm not asking how much does he love you. We, we settled that a couple of weeks ago. There's nothing you can do for God to love you more or love you less. That's a done deal. But God can trust you more and God can trust you less. You know what stuff is? Stuff is a test to see how much God can trust you. Now, before you go, man, I hate tests. I hate exams. <laughs> The truth of the matter is, you test your friends and your relatives all the time. And I'll tell you how you test them. Put the next one up, love. You test them by, um, by telling them things and seeing how they react. And if they overreact, you put up a little wall and say, I'm not telling you that again. I don't trust you. I don't trust you emotionally. You, you emotionally test everybody in your world all the time, just quietly, to determine who you can trust and who you can't trust. There are certain things that you would never tell your husband or wife because you just don't trust them that much. There are certain things you would never tell your certain friends because you've told them things before and the reaction, you go, okay, I'm not never saying that again. I know not to open my mouth there. I don't trust you there I'm sorry and he might say well God can trust me because you know I don't lie and I don't cheat and I don't steal and I'm faithful or whatever that's how the world judges character the world judges character on the basis of you know do you lie and cheat and steal and run around or whatever you think God uses the same template 
Or maybe God's got a different template. Jesus has just told us he does. The way you spend your money is a test. Did you know that? Every time you buy something, it's a test. God is testing you to see what you'll do with the money he has given you. It's a test. And God is watching to see what you do with temporary stuff. It's quite remarkable when you think about it, isn't it, that we use um, stuff that's not ours anyhow, and it's only temporary because it's all God's. So God uses stuff that's not, that, that, that belongs to him. He gives to us. It's ours only temporal, and then he rewards us eternally um, with stuff that lasts for eternity by what we do with temporal stuff. What you do with money will determine your eternal reward. Basically, that's, that's what he's saying here. This is a test to determine how much God can put faith and trust and confidence in you. You might say, well, I don't have much. You know, this guy, he's got five houses. He drives Mercedes-Benz. You don't have to compare what you have with anybody else. All you need to do is to, is to steward what you have in such a way that God says, you know something, I can trust that man. I can trust that woman. I can trust that young person. And so I'm going to give you more. It's a, it, it's a test. God views your stuff, number one, as a tool. It's a tool to bring other people to know him. But number two, it's a test. It's a test to see how much he can trust you. So God's watching. The Duke of Wellington had a biographer who said this. He said, I found in an old attic the ledger that showed how the Duke spent his money. And it was a far better clue to what he thought. So much more, uh, so much more insightful than merely reading his letters or his speeches. <laughs> if you wanted to know what the Duke of Wellington actually thought, have a look at his ledger and see where his money went. And you can see what he actually thought. Don't worry about what he says. Don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about um, uh, the speeches people give. You look at what they do with their hard-earned, and that shows you the kind of person they are. How we handle our money reveals the depth of commitment to Christ that we actually have. That's why Jesus so often spoke about it. One-sixth of all of the Gospels talks about your stuff, because your stuff's important. Your stuff is a test. God is testing to see how much commitment you really have to him. Your stuff is a tool. You can use it to build friends. So when you get to heaven, you're gonna, people are going to uh, welcome you and say, I'm so glad that you gave. I'm so glad that you were generous. I'm so glad that you used your stuff to help me. And it's a test to determine what kind of reward you get when you arrive there. And there's one more thing I want to share with you tonight, and then, we, then we're done. But Paul makes this observation in Galatians 6, 12, 6, uh, 17, I'm sorry, where he says this. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. We don't tend to bear on our body the marks of Jesus. I've got no physical marks. Someone once said if... Um, if Paul walked into heaven backwards, the angels would recognize him by the scars on his back. Well, if I walked into heaven backwards, they wouldn't recognize me by the hairs on mine, I can assure you. Uh, there's certainly no marks of substance there. Uh, where I wear the marks of Christ, to be really honest with you, 
I wear the marks of Christ in my, my wallet. We're sitting in a building that I was here when we built this and I can show you a huge gash <laughs> in my bank account when we built this building. And we've done that several times. Each time I can show you a, a gash. We, we give the missions every month. I can show you the marks of Christ in my wallet. It's a tool, absolutely. It's a test. But the third point, if we can put this uh, next um, slide up there, it's a trademark. It says where you belong. It says where you belong. A trademark is, is a... It comes from an old English concept or idea where um, a- animals would be branded with a, with a mark and that's, that, that showed who they belonged to. Nowadays, brands mean a whole different thing, but still really it's the same undergirding thing. We know on uh, next Sunday night this game's on and I could tell you, if you buy a blue or a maroon beanie or a blue or a maroon scarf any time between now and then, it's going to show what team you belong to, isn't it? <laughs> it's a trademark. It says, I am a Queenslander, right? Or a something else, <laughs> whatever that might happen to be. Uh, but where your finance goes, it's a trademark. It's, it shows, it says, who I belong to. This is my tribe. This is the one I am marked for. This is how God views it. This is how it was meant to be. You use it for the reason it was meant to be and you'll get substance out of it now for some of you you're probably thinking to yourself oh man this sounds so ridiculous so horrible I don't like the sound of it I just want my own stuff just leave me to myself stop bothering me um, put the next slide up when, when I was a kid the whole idea of kissing a girl when I was like seven or eight years of age I thought it was yucky <laughs> I didn't want to get girl germs right the whole idea of even touching a girl was something foreign to me. <laughs> you know, girls were something to be avoided. And, and then, slowly but surely, I grew up, and then by the time I bought that jacket, <laughs> I bought a jacket to impress the girls, by the time I bought that jacket, the concept of kissing a girl, wow, well, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> the concept of holding a girl's hand, oh, Wow. That was something to kind of put yourself, you know, out there to, to try to achieve, you know. Put yourself in a vulnerable situation to see whether or not it would come off. Because, man, to get to hold a girl's hand, woohoo! that would be exciting, baby. And I crossed over. <laughs> Once upon a time, I thought, nah, no way, that's horrible. And I got to a point and I thought, wow. This is why I live. <laughs> I got to another point. I thought, this is fantastic. I don't ever want to go back. 35 years later, whatever it happens to be, I haven't gone back. <laughs> and here's my point. You still might be thinking like that in relation to the stuff that I've talked about tonight. You still might be thinking, nah, horrible. My stuff's my stuff. I'm not... I've never met a person, a man or a woman, I've met many that have crossed over that have ever thought of going back. You understand? I understand you're thinking like that and many have thought like that and you might think like that. All I'm saying is if you can cross over, right, you'll never think about going back. You'll never think about 
behaving or living like you did before, that your stuff was just about you. Once you've crossed over and you've recognised that your stuff is a tool, you understand that it's a test and that it's a trademark, it shows where you belong. You'll never go back again. I, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. I've spoken to so many who have crossed over and have no interest in going back to that small or to that way of thinking ever, ever again. So go home and look at your stuff. Look at your money. Look at your things. And ask yourself, is this stuff being used? Am I leveraging this? I've got a car, am I, I've got a home, am I leveraging this? for eternity? Am I using what God has given to me? It's a test, because if you use it well, He'll give you more. That's the idea of the test. You go from grade three to grade four, and then from grade four to grade five, every time you go up. It says who you belong to, what team you're a part of. And pray a prayer, you can even turn up a church. <laughs> But if you really want to find out what a person thinks of God, no matter what I say I do or do, how I handle my finance is what I really think of you, God. That says where I belong. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I don't know where everybody in this room is at tonight in relation to their view on their things, whether people are lost, whether people are holding stuff out of fear, living with insecurities. But Lord, I thank you tonight that you have this incredible place for us to occupy, this place of freedom, this place of security. This place that views the finance and the stuff that's ours as God views it. Lord, help us, I pray, or climb that mast and take up that position and view it and see the way that we're headed that we might never be lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we sing together? Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this podcast.